Hello and welcome to Tennis with Naomi and Gigi. Thank you for inviting me into your kitchen this week. Naomi. Yes, we've traded kitchens. Um, yours mine's, is lovely. Yeah, it's a little more snug than yours. Yours was nice, open plan, large. Mine is uh, boxy. I like cosy. I feel we can reach everything. <laughs> we can. You can reach everything. It's not built for two. We tend to have one person cooking at a time in the kitchen. You just kind of get in each other's way otherwise but it, it it's very nice though it's, it's no it's lovely and you've i see you've you've kicked sven out for the day has he gone on a play date dogs do that i don't know it's not uh, here yes downstairs see <laughs> <laughs> i know oh, God, I i've never actually i've never actually met him i hear about operations boot camp you send all these pictures of a dog that looks like it comes from a magazine i've never actually and i thought i'm coming to your house today mm-hmm. flat today i'm, I'm going to meet sven he's not even here questions are going to start to be asked Yes. Well, well, we'll have to do the grand reveal. Make a big, big deal of it <laughs> all. Put uh, a sheet over his head and then suddenly pull it off. Actually, I tell you what. After we finish recording, you can meet him because he's, he's downstairs um, because they just got a new puppy. <gasps> what downstairs? Yeah, downstairs to me. I'm I'm first floor flat, as you may have noticed when you walked in. Walked in the <laughs> thanks. <laughs> you, um, I sometimes wonder. You do like to state the obvious with me. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I enjoy explanations. <laughs> it's my favourite bit. And yeah, so he's he's downstairs. They've got a garden, so he's just running around out in the garden. Can't see, it's the other end of the house. You can't see it. From well, of here. course I can't see it. I mean, again, does he exist? But I will report back on on the next podcast next week. If Sven actually exists, if anyone cares, which I'm sure they do. I don't want to offend you because it's your house, it's your kitchen, it's your dog. You're <laughs> um, the one who keeps bringing him up. That's because I keep getting people asking about the, the questions for you this week about the wedding dress. Because the last time we spoke, you were going back to see the dress that you hadn't fallen in love with, but you had fallen in love with because you don't believe in that because you're not superstitious with your mum. And the answer is it's now your dress or not. Yes. Hey. Hey. So it was love at first. Or like like no, your fiance it was a grower. It was, it was a, a grower. It was a grower. And I could not mean that in any more of a complimentary fashion when I talk about uh, my other half, Ben. He's a very, he's a strong grower and I, I like it. Definitely getting the dress. So that's all good. And also last week, I felt like there were a lot of questions coming my way. It felt more like an interview <laughs> than anything. Um, but I wanted to ask you because after you recorded last week, you gave me a little quick whip round Windsor which is where we were your lovely home in Windsor and uh, there's still some flags up from the royal wedding the last royal wedding we thought that we thought maybe they just hadn't got around to taking it down because that was a big thing but we have another royal wedding coming up there's more there's another more one more royals I know uh, I'm going to get it wrong Beatrice Janie Beatrice Beatrice Princess Beatrice Eugenie's sister not Bouchard I thought it was Eugenie <laughs> that's getting married no, I think it's Beatrice going around. I think it's Eugenie. <laughs> it's a, it's a, Somebody let us know. It's one of the sisters. I think it could be Eugenie. <laughs> is getting married and they've announced that they're going to do another sort of horse-drawn carriage, block all the roads, you can't leave your house, you're sort of blocked in for about a week. Mm. Little braid, which is wonderful for the newly married couple. Well, I was, yeah, and I was going to ask, so what was it like for you and what will it be like when uh, Beatrice or Eugenie gets married? <laughs> <laughs> what will it be like? What is it like living in it? Because it was crazy to watch on TV. Know which one? It was. It, it was fine. I think in the build-up there was a lot of local people going ugh because they closed closed a lot of roads. There was a lot of rehearsals, so you forget they have to rehearse everything oh. they're going to do. So, so how they, long? How long before? The oh, the, the week before. Whole so week? the week wow. before they would block off all the roads to do a walk through or a drive through with Harry and Meghan. 
No, I don't think they did. Stand-ins. I don't think they did. We're just going to do a parade. Just sit in the carriage. (laughs) Nothing else to do. I think, um, to be honest, I didn't watch. I was just trying to navigate my way out because we live quite central. Mm -hmm. It was, there was lots of things coming through letterboxes telling you what to watch out for and what to do. But it was actually quite nice in the week leading up to it. People had arrived from all over the world and they were sleeping in tents on the main high street in Windsor waiting for the wedding. Oh, it's like the Wimbledon queue. It's like the Wimbledon queue. Nice. They were covered with sort of royal badges and hats and flags and exactly like the Wimbledon queue. And it was actually kind of quite... I wouldn't do... Would you have ever... Did you ever queue for no. Wimbledon? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> you just looked Members at me. of my family have, though. Have they? Yeah, together. But have they done the tent thing? Yeah, they did the tent thing. It was the year uh, I played against Martina Hingis and I scheduled on court two. So they all stayed overnight and then it was awkward because they got to the front of the queue and they could have got... They were... They were they did. They they camped from a long time before to make sure, and they could have obviously got centre court tickets. And they said, no, just court two, please. And I don't think they quite understood because they were like, well, you can have centre court tickets if you want no no we they just went, want to be on court someone two someone on court two they wanted to see me <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. me obviously so that was nice because imagine if they imagine if they just said ah oh, well sod it we'll go to centre court so I think that's that's wonderfully loyal of them wasn't it great and, and, uh, and I saw them I, I remember did you win no why would you ask that <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering if they could have seen win on court on centre court. That was my that was one of my most brutal uh, losses because I had two match points and I lost. Is that what you were going back to? In now we've done a few podcasts, I can sort of forget which one it was because we've done a few. When you were talking about nerves and that I said, "Can you do something to deal with nerves?" And you said, "No," because it, it you didn't know when it would hit you. But normally with you, it was sort of rather than going out on court being a bit wobbly and dealing with it, mm-hmm. you would start fine and, and then get a little bit wobbly. Yeah, it just comes out of the blue at random times. It could be beginning of the second set, could be at the end of the first, end of closing the match. It could not come at all, to be honest, which happened a lot. What goes through your mind? Wimbledon, you have a match point. I don't know. Who, who, are, you, who are you facing? Were you, was it someone... Love reliving this. <laughs> this is not painful at all. Have you not dealt with it yet? Um, it was a while ago. Come on. No, I'm fine. On. I'm fine. I, t- I tend to talk about the thing is because the following year I played Venus, so that tends to trumpet. So I just well, we'll get we'll get to Venus. No, we'll we'll finish fine. on Venus. But what, but I'm just thinking was it was it someone that you didn't think you'd have any chance of beating because they were like a Venus, or was it someone closer to you? And at that point, Wimbledon with all the family have queued up and not gone to centre court because they're going to watch you on court two. Can you remember what goes through your mind at that point? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's burned into my brain. <laughs> yeah, so um, so interestingly, with my family, this is actually quite an interesting story. With my family, so I remember I, ra- I sprinted out wide for a, a wide shot, probably about a set in, and, and bless them, they were all wearing T-shirts that uh, my, my uh, niece, no, my cousin, I don't have a niece, my brother doesn't have any kids, my cousin... <laughs> That you know she, had, she she was only um, maybe oh, 12 or 13 at the time and she'd made up all these t-shirts with uh, they call me nonny so it was it was go nonny go or whatever like this and they were all kind of they were really getting into the match and uh, and so they were because they had queued for their court two tickets they were in seats a1 a2 three they were absolutely front and center and I ran out wide for a ball this is the old graveyard court right I ran out wide for a ball I ended up in the um, in the covers you know, properly, like almost in the front row of the crowd. And I just got to the front row of the crowd. We were about to set in. And I just won the first set 7-6. So it was all quite raucous on the court. And, uh, and Hingis was ranked, um, I don't know, she was, she was ranked pretty As high in at the time. Yes. 
Do you know another Hingis? I was just. <laughs> I feel like I, I was just checking. Like Hingis doesn't need a first no, name. No, but I was just checking. I, I still think it does. Weirdly, I just think for some people, maybe listening more for the issue than the tennis. Oh, okay. I'm gonna put, I'm gonna put the first name. I'm just catering for That's everybody fair. that might be listening. So Martina Hingis, legend of the game. Yeah, she won. She won the tournament before, um, and this was in her comeback, her first comeback of many. Um, but she. Was, She's just she was, got married. Yes, I saw that. Keeping the wedding Lovely. theme that. Well, it is wedding season and the tennis players are, you know, really, really getting on it this year. But she was ranked, she was definitely ranked in the top 20. I can't remember precisely where she was, but she was, she was, she was good. Right. And where were you? (laughs) On court, Um, but where were you? (laughs) 200, maybe? Okay, so it was amazing at this point that you're taking the first set. Oh, yes. Yes. Oh, quite, yes. So I, uh, yeah, so I, so I ran over and I was obviously in the covers and I just won the first set and we were out in the first set and I ran over into the covers and I'm, I, you know, you have to stop yourself on that wall. And actually at Wimbledon this year, Nadal did end up in the front row on one of the points. He jumped over the he wall. He leapt into the woman's lap. Had a, yeah, had a nice, a nice cuddle before he <laughs> got caught back on again. Uh, and he yeah. patted her on the head before oh, no, he went back out on court. They, they got their dose of Nadal sweat, <laughs> which is lovely. Anyway, but I saw, I, I get to this wall and I stop and I look up and... And there's just eight members of my family, my kind of aunts and cousins and uncles and all these people who've queued. And they're all in these T-shirts and they all just kind of leant back and just looking at me as if we don't know what to do. We don't know what to say. We don't want to do the wrong thing. We can't talk to her. She's in the middle of a match at Wimbledon. That would be ridiculous. So they're just staring at me like they're completely freaked out uh, until my little cousin just kind of peeped out going on. (laughs) And then I kind of went back to play my match. So that was kind of a weird like reality yeah. kind of hits you of like this is so where you surreal. are and what you're doing and what's happening um, yeah and then oh so you asked me about the match points I feel bad so now. now now I do need to just clarify that the match points it wasn't like I was a set and 5-1 up 40-15 up and I was cruising like there'd been no breaks of serve which my coach would say, or my coach would have said was concerning because Martina Hingis is not known for her serving <laughs> But anyway, neither of us had broken serve. Uh, so I won the first at 7-6 and then I was 5-4 up in the second set, but it was on Martina's serve. Um, and it was kind of juice advantage, juice advantage. And I had a couple of advantages on her serve. So it wasn't really like it, you know, I was running away with the match. Yeah. It was a very, very tight match. And I just managed to, didn't manage to come through that game. And then I didn't win another game, but that's... <laughs> That's but you, but you hear that so often because I find it quite interesting. Oh, I felt part. That, great. But but you, but you, not not. It, I I find it really interesting that how the mind works in that it that can happen. You you have a match point or we saw this. Do you remember with Sasha Zverev against Rafa Nadal and mm. Indian Wells a few years ago and he had a match point and it was a volley that you know we we can all sit in the crowd going oh my mum could have nailed that mm. but she probably could have done and he missed it on match point didn't win another point and I was sat next to Jill Krabis and she said it happens so often like that that you miss a point like that and and everything stops and it's incredible how it you can go from being in such a position to completely falling apart yeah it it is extraordinary I mean they say tennis is 95% mental I think is the saying a lot anyway (laughs) which is fair fair enough yeah I mean I remember I got the first match point and it kind of because it was such a tight match kind of came out of nowhere and you thought oh I got a match point and obviously the crowd are going crazy and um I just and I just walked to the advantage side and I just thought just treat it like a normal point you've been playing unbelievably well yeah just play the next point don't even think about it just play another point and uh talk about nerves hitting me um she served my forehand sensible thing to do (laughs) against me on any big point (laughs) she had that nailed anyway (laughs) 
<laughs> Perfect. So she went, she went to the forehand and I hit the tightest forehand. I, I, mean, I could barely swing. Just could barely swing. And all I said to myself before the point was like, just play another point. Just play another point. Just get into the rally, see what happens. And I just couldn't swing my arm. It just, just wouldn't move. So that was a shame. And then I went back to the juice side. Playing, again, but you go back to juice and the pressure's not there anymore because you're ultimately your 5-4 juice. It's fine. And then I played a, an amazing point. Played really, really well. You know, good baseline hitting. It's all good. Got myself another advantage point. And I thought, right, okay. Take your time. Take a few deep breaths. Walk to the back of the court. This clearly is not a normal point. You can't con yourself into thinking that it's one all <laughs> it's like <laughs> so I was like right take your time so I like, took deep breaths and I, and I was just thinking because obviously I, the, the first return did not work so well and the last point I was just thinking just make the return just go into the middle of the court just get into the point and then you've been hitting I mean, I'd been out hitting her from the back of the court so I was like that's fine and I said just get it over the net I don't care how short it is I don't care what happens just get it over and in now Hingis being probably uh pretty switched on to how it works especially if you're a British wild card with a match point and you've just she's hit a really tight seen forehand. all your family she's identified the Cavaday clan in the front <laughs> yeah, row know, right? so she yes she'd served volleyed for that um the first well she served and came forward I don't think I think my return was so short she didn't have to volley it <laughs> but it did go over and in uh and then she knocked that one away but uh, and, that, and that was it I don't feel quite so bad about that memory because I, I brought you a gift today yes did you like my gift? I've, oh, yes. Oh, I thought I was getting another one. No, I'm getting this, another this one. This was my gift. I haven't even had one. Of course it was your gift. Oh, okay. I didn't realise it was a gift. I just thought you were giving me a muffin. It was a homemade blueberry muffin filled with blueberries. It was the last one. Last time I came to your house when we recorded last week, you had an excess of blueberries. Are you telling me you're still trying to get rid of them? <laughs> They're now in muffin form. Have you made a jam they, yet? They were... <laughs> There's more blueberries than muffin, weren't there? Yeah, there's a lot of blueberries. <laughs> it's a very, it's a very, it was, it was lovely. Thank you. Is that all right? And, and I found that our, our producer is a baker as well. She's making carrot cupcakes, which apparently she's going to give to you because you live quite close by. And, yeah, and I hope she in. might be in so I could have popped in today, but apparently she's not. And her mum made bacon and whiskey brownies. Where do you, where no. do you sit with that? No. No. That's where I sit. No. I mean, that's awful, isn't it? <laughs> But I, don't, I don't know how... Was there any sweetness in there? I don't know. Anything sugary? And it, I just don't know. I don't know. know. I don't know how that works on any level. No, not Bacon. for me. I'll um, take the carrot cake, though. Well, now you've insulted her mother's brownies. <laughs> you, you might find you don't get a carrot cake. But going back to Windsor, wedding of whoever it may be, I'm sure it's you, Janie, not Beatrice. I think it's Beatrice. I think what, it's what, you, Janie. What was your favourite bit of the Meghan and Harry wedding? The best bit... It was a lovely atmosphere, street parties. It was very, very relaxed. The wedding itself, I, I was quite interested to see Serena Williams mm -hmm. and a few other people, the celebrities. But that was that my favourite bit. The, the walking into the church. The no, it was just Serena. And it's, it's not that... I'm not obsessed with her as a person or anything. I mean, she's done a huge amount for the sport. I have, you know, masses and masses of respect for her. But I, it was just the realisation of how much of a superstar she is outside of tennis, just, just in terms of... Um, women around the world and just I think in terms of sport just all sport around the world she's such a, a, an incredible athlete and um, I've only I only ever really talk about her in the tennis context and, and whenever you're talking about her in with in tennis it's 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 all about the details and oh she had a tough draw playing against Rana Conta and uh, and and whatever else it might be with with Serena and actually to step back and the amount of coverage that she got on the TV and how excited people were that Serena Williams was there was um, it was just 
it was a reminder of how much she transcends the sport and how much people want to watch her play even if they don't want to watch the tennis. I mean, Megan came. She came to the Wimbledon final, didn't she? She came, yeah, you know? she came. She sat front row of the Royal I'm pretty sure that was for Serena. I don't know if she would have come without... Well, she wasn't at the men's final the next day. And I'm sure she could have been if she wanted to, because she was obviously in the area. Yeah. She... But I'm pretty sure that... I mean, she's good friends with Serena, and, and I'm sure that uh, she came for that. So that was very cool for, for Wimbledon. But um, but yeah, it was, just, it was just really nice to see Serena through almost a different lens. Because you just never really get to do that because we're so obsessed with the week in, week out draws and rankings and points and what she's playing like and what she's saying, what she's doing. And actually just to sit back and go, do you know what? She is awesome. Well, I was asked a question on a radio interview. Was I surprised when the numbers came out that there were more people tuned in for the for the women's final than did the men's? And I said, I said no for a number of reasons. I think it, it was a wonderful story on both sides with Kevin Anderson the stage of his career reaching the Wimbledon final following off the US Open final and Djokovic everything he's been through to build himself back up to to come through and there was a really interesting I don't know if you saw an interview with Marion Vida his coach which was really really interesting about working with Djokovic again mm. and how they got back together and he was saying there were certain things that Pepe Imaz the spiritual healer he said that's got to go you, you've got to separate yourself from that. And they, they talk through lots of different things. It's really interesting about why they're working together and he felt he could make the difference. And, and he said, look, it's nonsense, all this sort of spiritual stuff. It's just being on the court. It's man against man. It's woman against woman. You're just two fighters out there and you've got to get yourself in shape. And no, it was, it was quite interesting. But So that was a great story. But I think people sometimes do forget that Serena Williams transcends tennis. She has a documentary out... Uh, is it being Serena being in America? Serena, yeah. She has clothing lines. She has everything. People know brands. about Serena Williams. You don't have to like tennis to know about Serena Williams. So, and she was also looking to do something. Well, for Angelique Kerber, now a multiple Grand Slam winner with three. For Serena Williams, she was looking to equal the record, equal Margaret Court's record at 24, second Grand Slam back from having a baby and everything that went on. So I just said, I wasn't surprised at all. And I also think that this year in the women's game, there have been so many exciting storylines and you're not quite sure who's going to do what and who's going to come out on top, that I wasn't actually surprised. And the wedding, the royal wedding, to go back to that, mm. what, did you know that Eugenie Bouchard's mother, parents, are such big fans of the royals that they named, largely named all their children after royals? Yes, I did, I did know that. So we've got William, the brother. Mm-hmm. We've got Eugenie, who I'm sure is the one getting married. And then we have the one you think's getting married, Beatrice, her twin sister. Yeah, which I, I like that. And then they preempted the other one because the other sister is Charlotte, who yeah. came along obviously later. Yeah. So they're big, big fans of the Royals. Do you dry clean your duvet? Not the cover, the duvet. The actual duvet? No. Have you ever? No, I don't think I've owned a duvet long enough. How, how many times? How do you often you haven't owned a duvet long enough? <laughs> how long? How, what do you mean? How, 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 long have you how often are you supposed to do it? How long have you owned a duvet for? That's more, <laughs> no. much more interesting. How often and what are you do you use to, to sleep under? Well, currently, because it's so hot, I'm sleeping under sheets. No duvet. But you're, you're an adult, so you must have had a duvet for. How long have you lived? Outside of your family home. <laughs> <laughs> a long time since I was tiny. I was having drinks with our neighbour and I, I don't know how that subject came up, but um, 
she said, oh, I was just dry cleaning my duvet. And I said, duvet cover? She went, no duvet. I, I've ne- I've so ne- you've never done it No, either. never done it. Well, why were you looking at me as if I was No, because crazy. you said I haven't owned a duvet long enough. <laughs> well, that's because I thought it was like a 10-yearly a, a thing. You know, how, you should change your mattress you every 10 years. How long have you owned a duvet for? <laughs> the same one. I don't know, we have a few at home. But do you rotate them? I probably switched them... I don't know why I switched them because I don't do anything with them but I switched I switched the last one probably a year ago you should dry clean them I haven't done it every two months I mean no one's got time for that and I said how do they feel different apparently they just feel fresher but you have a duvet cover on it so well, I would hope they feel fresher it, it, it got me thinking because everything at the moment I try and link back to tennis or some random conversation that we will probably end up having is it's nice to sleep in a fresh clean duvet it's nicer to sleep in your own duvet, in your own bed. And I was thinking about tennis players and the spell that we're coming out of when they've had a little break. You are very rarely, this is probably true, I haven't really owned a duvet for long, because you, you're very rarely at home, you travel everywhere. But I was thinking, how does it work in terms of, you enter a tournament, it doesn't matter what level it is. So you've entered a tournament that runs for five days. How do you know what to do in terms of booking return flight do you have to go into every tournament thinking i'm going to win and book till the end or do you have to how does how does that work yeah it's a bit of a nightmare really it's quite difficult um especially uh, depending on what time of year you're traveling i'm traveling playing a tournament like in half term weeks or summer holidays oh it just makes everything so expensive and i feel like shouting at people saying i'm not going on holiday (laughs) this is normal every week stuff for me and now my flights flights are triple and that's not helpful but you've got your schedule so you when do you prepare your schedule for the year your your basics is that done when probably you probably do it in like three month chunks you, you you'll have you'll, you'll do a general outline for the year but obviously your ranking will inevitably do funny things <laughs> um <laughs> not necessarily end up where you expect it to be um could be a good thing could be a bad thing um and so you need to you need to make changes as you go along and you might be feeling tired at different times you might pick up injuries you might have you know gone on a run where you've lost first round for a few so you're going to change your schedule but you'll do a provisional schedule for the year um and then but really in terms of the tournaments you're going to play you'll be doing it kind of three months in advance so booking flights how in advance do you do that well you can't do it until the entry deadline's gone minimum and that's if you're in the tournament. So if you're in the main draw of the tournament and the entry deadline's gone, then you can book your flights because you know when you're going to play. You're going to play on the Tuesday, say it is. But if you're in the qualifying, then you're going to have to wait until the withdrawal deadline, which is weeks later, two weeks later, because you might get into the main draw and then you've got to go on a different day. Uh, and if you're an alternate, then just good luck. But then, <laughs> but then it goes <laughs> cross. How do you book? Do you book into a hotel or Airbnb to say, I want it for the week? And what if you get knocked out in the first round and then you lose the money? Or do you have to do it night by night? Because I always think that must be the hardest thing. Because if, if I go to work at a tournament, I know how long I'm going to be there for. The chances are you're there for the full tournament. So you check in, you check out, you've got your flights, your accommodation, nothing moves. Yeah. But you have players and suddenly a shock defeat for one of the top players in, in the first round of a Grand Slam. And again, it's probably not going to affect them so much. It always comes back to cost and finance. But those other players who, what if they suddenly go on this run? And they'd only checked in f- for two days. And they've got to find... I've heard of players actually oh, having to all the move around the city because yeah. they couldn't stay in the hotel they were in, but they're still playing. And so I guess you don't book it up. You just go... Or do, do you look and think, I think I might make the third round, so I'll book till then? You know, I, I hate to say it, but it, it kind, that kind of is how it works a lot of the time. You can... You know, you've you got to be realistic with what you're doing. And um, it's all very well turning up to every tournament and saying, you know, I can win it. Yeah, of, of, of course you can. 
but you, you've got to try and be realistic. I, if I was unseeded at a tournament, I would book my flights home for the evening of quarterfinals. Because if you, even if you, because the thing you've got to be aware of is that if you lose first round, I mean, even if you're happy to pay a fee to change your flight, sometimes you just can't. There aren't flights available. You have to wait until you're booked flight. And, and that happens quite often. And uh, Or it's just really expensive to change your flight, so you might as well just stay. The hotel's going to be cheaper or whatever it is. So I would normally book for the evening of quarterfinals, which is, which is what I recommend to all players that kind of start out. Because if, even if you lose... So quarterfinals is only the third round in the lower events. So if you lose first round, you only have to wait two days. It gives you a chance to play singles and doubles and lose first round of both. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but also you could make the quarterfinals of singles and if you're unseeded in the tournament making the quarterfinals is a good effort so to anticipate you're going to do any more than that is probably a little ambitious but it happens all the time you know I, I came through qualifying and won a tournament it's you know it happens all the time but also if you go past the quarterfinals then you've earned enough money that it's kind of okay to to change flights and then you would change it to the end and you're taking responsibility for all of this I know uh, you yeah. know in, in I'm sure Andy Murray doesn't book his flights or his hotel or no. his, there'll be someone but when you're coming up through it even if you are working with a coach you'll be the one booking all of that well oh yeah we, we've heard in last week's podcast you didn't even turn up to a tournament <laughs> that you're entered into oh memories my coach at the time yeah not pleased um we, that was all the way in the states as well we flew out there it was, yeah it's good good week um <laughs> some players will before the match you know, because you 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 know whether you're like just like when we watch a match. If we if we're going to commentate on a match, we can look at a match and we can say, do you know what? Seventy percent of the time, Radvanska wins this match. Like you you have a rough idea. Yeah. I'm not saying she's going to win it. I'm not saying the other girl can't win it. But the chances are Radvanska comes through this match, whatever it is. And you know what? There are upsets all over the place, and it's great. It's why we love the sport. Um, but you kind of have to have a similar mindset when you're playing. You know, just being slightly realistic. And so often players will, before the match, will be looking at, if they think that, if they go, do you know what, my chances of, of losing of, of losing this match are pretty strong. Um, you know, this girl's really in form and, you know, I'll give it my best shot and see what happens if I win bonus. But you might just check to see when the flights, if there are any flight options before you play the match. And then after the match, you know, and sometimes you, uh, there have been situations where people are looking at the clock when they're on the court close to the end. And they're thinking, I know there's a flight in two hours can I get my stuff? Can I book the tickets? And they will literally pick up their bag, walk off court, go to a computer, book their tickets and just leave. I've done that before and then I forgot my prize money. <laughs> so then you have to phone them and get them to send it to you. <laughs> bit of a, bit of there, was, there was a mixed doubles final at Wimbledon a few years ago now. On court one, the Bryan brothers were involved on either side of the net, obviously, because <laughs> it was mixed doubles. And it darkness was descending. And they both, I think all four had flights out that evening or somewhere to go. And I think it was almost came to an agreement at the net as to, as to what they would do. Because it came to the point where it's not going to be finished tonight. You'll have to come back tomorrow. And I think they were all thinking, as important as this is and as wonderful as this is, we've got these arrangements and, and we've got to go and we have to leave. And I think they just almost all sort of all came forward and had a chat. And it was all very civilised and, and off we went. Yeah, it's... It, in terms of logistics of being a tennis player, it is such a draining part of being a player. It's so tiring. It's just to, to keep on top of everything, you know, to, to know what's going on. I mean, everybody's ended up stranded somewhere for days on end. Everybody's ended up without a hotel room and panicking because they have they just have nowhere to sleep and worrying that they're going to end up being homeless or something. I mean, 
that's never happened. It always works out. There's Have always you ever slept in a, a car room. on a bench on a, on a no, hotel, no. airport? No, hotel but I've slept on the floor airport. of people, other players' rooms or whatever else it might be. And it's just it's just the way it works out. Like you go, hey, I won my match. How on earth am I still here? There are no hotel rooms. Where's the weirdest place you've played a tennis match? I played in a place called Tanjung Salor. Where's it's, a, it's, a, it's an island uh, in Indonesia. We play. What are they doing having a tournament there? Yeah, and you can only get there by a two-hour speedboat. So what makes someone think that that's a good place to have a tournament? And especially if it's... What level... What, what tournament? It was a $25,000 event, so it was, it was a good level. I mean, that means that's a low challenger level, but it's not the entry level. So you've got players ranked between 150 and 400 playing in that tournament. But what makes you think that we're... To hold a tournament maybe maybe there. more than maybe 120. There were some good players there. Were there? Yeah. Was it like being at a holiday resort and then playing tennis? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no. This was a, this was this was a place where I mean it was beautiful. It was fantastic. But they wanted to improve the tourism. How which, does that improve? I know, tourism? Uh, but somebody thought they would put on a professional Say, event. And the trouble is with us players is we're just we just kind of go where we're told. Oh, there's a tournament there in Indonesia. We'll, we'll go there. And yeah. say you lose the first round. Yeah. You're not going to be on your boat or whatever away from the island think oh must go back there for a holiday because have bad memories um maybe i don't know but if you lose first round you've probably got a day or two that you can uh, you can kind of mooch around the place see the orangutans the one thing was is an indoor tournament did they have the orangutans you just made that up yeah they, of course they, <laughs> they had plenty of orangutans um but of course they, they did i don't even know where it is <laughs> Some sort. Of, I mean, my my knowledge of monkeys is not strong. So, but it was. It was you a, can it was tell a type. An, you can tell an orangutan. Know, it was a long time ago. No, like but you know what ago. an orangutan is. Yes. It's not. <laughs> but I can't remember what time. I it was. thought you were going to say. I can't remember exactly where it was. Not exactly what an orangutan was. Right. No. No. <laughs> but we played. So it was an indoor event, and for. I think it was the first time ever. I mean, this, this is a strong statement. I'm basing this on no fact. I'm getting used to you making quite strong <laughs> statements in these podcasts. This is based on no facts, uh, but just what I think. I can tell you what happened, uh, but whether or not it's, been, it's happened anywhere else, I'm not sure. But I think it was the first time that in an indoor event, the extreme heat rule came in. Oh, really? Yeah. So why weren't they playing it outdoors? It's in a tropical place. I thought that the, it was almost like a disused swimming pool large large swimming pool it was in the middle of this forest it was extraordinary we were we had a tribal welcome when we got there a tropical island the whole island knew we were coming in the middle of a forest mm. in a disused tennis court disused ten swimming pool swimming pool but yeah and it had and it, and also we had a massive power cut in the middle uh, like just randomly in the middle of playing the matches it happened eight or nine times but you know that darkness where you can't see your hand in front of your face darkness as in you just have to stop the umpire couldn't get down from the chair because they to were just going to wallop a ball at someone. Exactly. When the lights come on, my, my opponent's just on the floor with a broken foot, and then we're all like, <laughs> and oh, there really? are no balls down your end. <laughs> I don't know what happened. Yeah, so uh, that was a very cool place to play, but uh, slightly odd and bizarre. I don't think they ran the tournament again, so we must have upset them. So you went just for the one-off. Yep. Saw the orangutans. How did you mm. do? Did you have plenty of orangutan time viewing or not? That gives us the answer. A moderate amount. I think I, I think I won a match or two. I can't remember. I don't think it, it wasn't my finest thing. I've never sweat that much in Did my life. Did you eat there? Yes. <laughs> I was there for a week. <laughs> On earth, is it? <laughs> did you did you go out to eat or did you are you were staying oh, in the hotel? Ho you, okay, so you stay in the hotel because I thought something um, was really interesting. Ben Rothenberg, who I'm sure a lot of people know, does the 
um, NCR podcast with Courtney Nguyen, also at tournaments, writes for New York Times. I sent a tweet out the other day saying that the WTN, I didn't know this, you may have been in this, used to publish a Zagat guide in which players gave recommendations for cities on tour, places to eat. And, mm-hmm. and he sort of photocopied a couple of pages. And Jill Krabus, who I know very well, both know very well, worked with her. She featured quite a lot. She was quite heavily with her restaurant recommendations. She's Maria a Maria Sharapova though. was it? It's so surprising. Maria Sharapova was in the guide. Serena okay. Williams had recommended a couple of places. I wasn't sure whether I could really research it and see if they'd asked you for a recommendation for that plate. I can't remember the name. The hotel in Tanjung Salor. <laughs> <laughs> would um, you have been able to give them a recommendation for tangent salon no we only ate in the hotel um but i do remember, remember i had the full at the players party they needed somebody to wear the full traditional clothing you didn't well i'm just i'm it's one of those things where they, they ask players to do it and no one wants to do it and i'm the one who says well i think it's a bit rude if if we don't do it they've put on this whole tournament for us they've put a party on for us and so i'm normally the one that ends up doing it. i had a hat and everything it was fab do you have a picture that i, I can do put have on a picture i don't know if i want to put it on we can put um, on our instagram page you can see the delight on my face well the delight of the people in <laughs> tangent they were thrilled because people just weren't going to do it and i just thought you know do you have to dance oh they they asked uh but i drew the line it's like doing flossing is it the equivalent of flossing these days yeah yeah pretty much uh but they were very nice very friendly people um it it was not necessarily a slick tournament in terms of how it was run but uh yeah it was uh, an interesting one would you did you know about this zagat guide do you know i didn't not until i i saw ben's tweet uh not until that i didn't know anything about it as a player if you were still playing now would you have found that useful that the recommendations have come from other players or does it not really matter if someone says there's a good restaurant you go or do you think to players do you look at things differently like that well it depends it depends who you are I mean when you're a junior and you're traveling in a team teenagers can be fussy about what they eat and especially if they're in foreign countries they don't necessarily want to try the local cuisine do they I mean even we as professionals and adults we didn't want to try the local cuisine in Tanjung Salor I did actually do a little bit of it but it was um it was different you could have gone out in your traditional dress you would have been welcomed everywhere yeah I I was still standing out a little bit from the crowd (laughs) um my tennis player tan marks was a was a particular highlight so with the juniors if you have a group normally if you go on your they take like you know the national governing bodies will take a trip of four or five juniors to tournaments and then you you just go to an italian because there's pasta there's pizza there's meat there's vegetables and you just find an italian i've been in uh where was i oh out in south korea somewhere we just find an italian there's always an italian um, carbs good carbs you know it's just it's safe it's simple it's not too extravagant and um and that's what players want they don't want anything that's too rich or that they've never had before the night before a match because what if it doesn't agree with them so italians so i always say you know i chat with my friends and they say oh i'm going to tanjung salor and i go really i've been there <laughs> uh and they say oh great what's it like what should we do and i say oh well i don't really know but i, I know a decent hotel hotel food's good which has got some food and if, in other places i would say i know an italian restaurant and um i know the tennis club when we it. went out to eat together in eastbourne we went to an italian restaurant yeah and it is the kind of the stock stock thing for, for tennis players to eat but but then when you kind of get older if you're traveling with your own team or if you're traveling by yourself which happens a lot um then of course you can go, go where you want really now i'm looking forward to next week because we're going to be working together on cincinnati yes there's a chance we could be recording at about 
to three o'clock in the morning. Oh, so it's going to be a podcast with an undertone of deliriousness. It's going to be surreal. <laughs> it's going to be fatigued. It's delirious. going to be sugar fueled and slightly surreal. I get hysterical when I'm tired, though. <laughs> Do you? <laughs> well, it's, no, it's, it's been a pleasure. I've learned something new about tangent law if people would like to get in touch with us maybe they can tell us where the weirdest places they've played tennis I'm not sure anything's ever going to top that but we're both on social media we have the at tennis podcast twitter and instagram account and I promise you I will get Naomi to dig out that photo of her in traditional tangential law I just like saying it now dress and put it on there okay is that fine um, it's better than pictures of your fine. dog. It's, it's not better fine, than pictures of your dog. I'll allow it. It'll, it'll happen. But it's not going to sit comfortably with me. If we can hurry up and put more stuff on after it, dog so that it kind of gets knocked down the. Oh, so it's not story. really at the top of the. Yeah. But I can put it on the Twitter account too. And I can Great. set it so it kind of reposts it. <laughs> oh, no, don't, just, don't pin it. It's like, t- oh, I hadn't even no, thought about that. So I can pin it to the front. It can be maybe our logo it's or colourful. something. It's kind of, you it's know, eye-catching. I am looking forward. But if there's if there's anything anyone would like to ask us, then do. I, we hope you're enjoying the podcast. And we look forward to your company next week for a slightly surreal tennis podcast. Mm-hmm.